Well, last week, Jerry told us that we were going to start a new sermon series next week called uh, Life Versus Unpacked. Uh, a little bit of trivia, there's over 23,000 verses in the Bible. So Jerry and the elders, uh, all of us are going to have a chance to give you some of our favorite verse or verses. Uh, I don't think we'll quite get the 23,000 in. Uh, and uh, today's being Father's Day, so oh, by the way, happy Father's Day to all you guys. I wanted to tag in with these life verses with a verse that's impacted my life. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. It says, be on alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Stand firm in the faith and act like men. This verse has impacted my life in the way I address issues and the way I address the happenings and the events of life. And so this morning, I want to share just some thoughts on fatherhood and on manhood. As this verse said, act like men. Paul was telling the Corinthian guys to act like men and to stand firm. But in today's culture, you know, what does that look like? How do you define manhood? What is a, a real man? You know, today's culture likes clear definitions of manhood, and it's no wonder people have such, you know, poor experiences with their fathers. Uh, Pastor Vody Bachman of the Grace Family Baptist Church down in Spring says that if you unpack today's definition of manhood, he thinks it might be the three B's, the billfold, the ball field, and the bedroom. Being a man in today's culture is more about how much you make, what you do for a living, and how are you with the ladies. Defining real manhood is tough because you don't see much of it in our modern culture. Just think about our entertainment media, the movies, the television shows. They often show dad as a figure that is clueless, you know, a knucklehead, a bubbling idiot, or you can fill in the adjective. In today's world, the very idea of manhood and masculinity is really just under attack. So it looks to me that culture has always had this wrong, and perhaps with good reason, as men have a natural bent, a natural tendency to follow the example of our great, great, well, a lot of greats, Grandpa Adam, you know, the first man. I think as men, we have a tendency to follow him. Adam, he did not step up and deny his very nature. Instead, he chose a path of passivity. Remember the Genesis story. God created a man and put him in the garden. And a few weeks ago, Jerry told us about that. He said that he put him in the garden to work, and that was even before the fall. So work was enjoyable. So Adam was in here doing his gardening job and having an enjoyment there because God said it was good. But a little bit later in that first part of Genesis, it says Adam was lonely, so God created a woman to help him, a helpmate. And then we flash forward just a little bit to chapter 3, and we see in chapter 3 that this snake appears to the woman. Now, no matter how beautiful this snake was, I don't think there's very many women in this room that would have stood around with a snake, unless you're from West Texas and you had a hoe in your hand and you'd have taken care of business. But like most guys, I digress with that, by the way, sorry. But like most guys, Adam must have started down the right path. Because if you remember, God told Adam, don't eat of the fruit that's 
in this tree of knowledge. And we hear the woman telling the snake that. So how did she know it? God didn't tell her, so obviously Adam must have told her, hey, we can't eat of this tree. And the interesting part of this story, at least it was interesting for me, is what was Adam doing during this time that the woman was with the snake? You know, most of my life I assumed Adam was in their part of the garden doing his little gardening job. And, but then I looked at verse 6 a little bit more closely that's in chapter 3. And in it it says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her. Gave to her husband with her. And he ate. Just looking at that verse, it kind of appears to me that Adam might have been right there standing beside her. You know, we know what Adam didn't do, but what was Adam doing during this time? In my cynical self, when I look at this verse, you know, at the worst case, I think Adam was standing there right beside Eve and saying, yeah, eat the the fruit, eat the fruit. Let's see if God's going to really strike you down. At the worst, and at the best, Adam was standing there with his hands in his pocket waiting to see what she was doing. Oh, wait, Adam didn't have any pockets, did he? So So every man carries in his heart the same failure. We repeat the sin of Adam every day. We just don't take risk. We don't stand up and fight. And it's not like the old westerns that I grew up on where the hero comes at the end of the story and saves the lady in distress. As the saying goes, I think we're just a chip off the old block. When it comes to leadership and courage, Adam was in the stands watching the game, watching Eve and the snake on the field in action. Instead of being on the field, in the middle of the action, standing for truth and protecting his bride. Robert Lewis, the founder of Men's Fraternity, said, in our journey into authentic manhood, we can't do it alone. We need a source of strength to help establish our steps. We need a navigator. We need a a compass. We need a solid role model as men. And that role model starts with Jesus Christ himself. Jesus did not live in passivity or back down from responsibility. In fact, Jesus rejected passivity, and he addressed issues head on. Jesus modeled accepting responsibility by showing men have a will to obey. John records that Jesus said, My food is to do the will of God who sent me and to accomplish his work. And like Jesus, men are called to do the will of God. Men also have a work to do. Again, John said, Jesus said, I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work which you, God, have given me to do. Along with the will to obey and a work to do, Jesus added a third piece. He said that men have a woman to love, and kids might also come with that. This is added to man's responsibility. So in contrast to the story of Adam and Eve, Jesus' actions showed he is constantly doing the will of his Father. In fact, he laid down his life for his bride, the church, and he finished the work he came to do on the cross. 
Adam reduced humanity and Jesus has redeemed it. But how does this define authentic manhood? Again, Robert Lewis simplifies what we can learn from Jesus with four characteristics. He said, manhood can be described as rejecting passivity, accepting responsibilities, leading courageously, and expecting God's greater reward. So I'm not suggesting that all the men run out and get crucified. But I am suggesting that we step up to the model that Jesus has given us for manhood. Do we have to be, get it right every time? Can we never be wrong? And of course, we're going to fail. We're going to be wrong on occasion. Is God expecting perfection? And again, the answer is no, he's not expecting perfection from us. What we need to do, though, is to step up and become men because the world is craving for real, authentic men and our families desperate need the leadership in the home. So we ask you, are you men, are you ready to step up and reject passivity? Are you ready to stop living for yourself and step up into the reward God has created for us? Are you ready to step up and accept the responsibility for being a man, for being a father, for being a husband? Are you ready to step up and live courageously? Not only are guys faced with this trying to deal with authentic manhood, guys face an even bigger challenge, I think, and that's the battle for true fatherhood. As I was preparing for this sermon and searching through Scripture for examples of good fathers, I had a hard time. Because every guy I looked at had something wrong, kind of like us today. You know, looking at Adam himself, he had one son kill the other son. Noah saved humanity, but, you know, he also ran around drunk and naked. Abraham, his son was just like his dad, Isaac. He ran and told the guys, hey, that's not my wife, that's my sister. Go ahead, do whatever. Jacob. His son sold their younger brother into slavery. King David, the man after God's own heart, had one son rape his sister and another son kill his brothers. And the great prophets of the Old Testament, Eli and Samuel, well, their, son, his son, their sons were so wicked that God just took them out. So like these stories, I think many of you have similar stories stories of abuse, whether it was physical or verbal. Others have stories of absent fathers, whether the dad died early or there was a divorce or dad just ran away. Others have told me they have had stories of alcohol or drug abuse in their families. And others still told me that they just never felt like they could measure up to dad. They were always a failure. They just never felt loved by dad. And yet, years later, all these hurts, people are still holding on, still have bitterness when they remember the past. How I wish, I wish that we lived in a fantasy world where I could wave a, a magic wand and, and change the past to change all the hurts. Where we could live in a magic kingdom where 
like the lyrics to that old song go, skies are always blue and where troubles melt like lemon drops. But no, we live in a very real world where troubles don't melt away and our troubles are very real. So instead of magic words, may I remind you of some peace and comfort that only come from the good shepherd. David wrote when he was running away, actually running from Saul, running for his life, David wrote, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Henry Ward Beecher said the 23rd Psalm is the nightingale of psalms. He said the nightingale sings its sweetest when night is the darkest. So the next time you're looking back and feeling from past hurts, I urge you to find a quiet spot and just slow yourself down. Come quiet and remember, the Lord is my shepherd. I think you'll find a strange and marvelous presence. You'll hear God's spirit sweetly and softly saying, I've got your back. I'm with you. But I also want to say a loud praise. Praise to God because there's people here that are just like me that have just some great memories of their dads and their moms of our childhoods. My pop set a great example of manhood and fatherhood. When I was young, my pop taught me the basics of sports, how to throw, how to hit, and how to catch a baseball. He taught me about the different positions on a football team. He also taught me more important stuff, like how to tie my shoes. And as I grew older, both my parents helped me with my schoolwork. I can still remember the agonizing weekly second grade spelling words my mother was put through. Or the hours my pop was determined I was going to learn those fourth grade multiplication tables. Later, pop taught me to change the tire on a car. He also taught me how to change the oil. I laugh because he also told me how to, taught me how to shave both the hairs on my chin. <laughs> I can remember my brothers and I spent hours, hours fishing with my pop, who taught us how to tie hooks and the finer points of fishing. We lived, my dad, my pop grew up in Kaufman County and knew just about everybody, and we always had access to all these farms and all these ponds, so we would do pond fishing, and we did that a lot. Every week we went somewhere fishing, and my two brothers and I and Pop, we would go to a pond, and we'd start on one side of the pond, and we hadn't been there too long. My Pop would always start walking the pond fishing and end up on the other side of the pond. So years later, I found out the reason for that. My brothers and I liked to talk. Not only did we talk, we also talked very loudly. So all the fish went to the other side, and Pop always caught more fish. Go figure. Well, as time has a f habit of doing, flying by, when I had sons of my own, my pop gave me some sage advice. He said, spend time with your sons. You see, my pop put into practice the words of Moses. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. 
you should teach them diligently to your sons and daughters, and you shall talk with them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. So in order to teach these great words, my pop had to spend time with me and my two brothers. So looking back, it just amazes me the amount of time my parents spent with us kids. You know, my pop worked in a warehouse, and he worked in a variety of positions all of his working life, putting in those 40-plus hours in the heat of the summers. And on top of that, my parents commuted almost an hour to work. So they'd come home after a long day, even after a longer week, and they had time for their children. During sports time, they had three boys. They were always at our baseball games. You with multiple kids, you know how hard that is to go from one place to another on all these venues. But somehow they managed to do that. In my childhood, my pop coached almost each year a baseball team with one of his sons playing. So whether we were playing sports or doing schoolwork or chores around the house, there was always my pop. And we would talk. We would discuss, sometimes we discuss very loudly, about any and everything. And often it turned to Jesus and his love for us. It was popped I talked to about accepting Christ as my Savior. And it was my pop that I prayed with about being called to the ministry. None of those conversations would have taken place if he hadn't made time. In today's society, 50% of dads are absent from their children's life, and that's mostly because of divorce. Some dads are distant. They live under the same house as their family, but they live a separate life. They're not involved. Dad's doing his own thing. Then there's those demanding dads that rule over everything. And everybody's there just to serve them. We have some dads that are involved in their children's life, but they have no vision. They just let things happen as they may. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but dads, what your children need is you being involved in their lives. You need to know who their friends are. You need to have a relationship with their school and with their teachers. And you need to know about their schoolwork. Your children need to see you loving their moms. And they need to see your character through your words and your actions. Solomon put it this way, a righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. Guys, they also need to see your heart. They need to see your faith. It's, it's not only words, but it's in actions. They need to see you serving. We have opportunities on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday evenings to serve with children. We have life groups that can go and serve at the food pantries. We've got exercises over at the Autumn Chase Apartments. They need to see you serving and serving with you. And dads, your kids need to hear something. They need to hear you tell them, I love you. They need to hear you say, I'm proud of you. Your boys and your 
girls need to hear these words often. And while you're at it, let them know what they're good at. To be strategic, your kids not only need to see you and hear from you, they need to see and hear your affirming encouragement over their accomplishments. They need your instructions on life, from how to brush their teeth when they're young to how to rent or to buy a house when they grow older. Most of all, dads, they need to hear you to tell them the gospel. They need to hear you tell them about the love that Jesus has and how to be a disciple and to walk with Jesus. There's a movie character, Rick O'Connell, that I think every dad can agree with. He said in this movie, he said, you know, it's not easy being a dad. And for all of us, whether we have great or terrible relationships with fathers, we have a heavenly father that loves each and every one of us. God is crazy over each one of us and each one of our children. He wants us to have an abundant life. Chris Tomlin wrote a song with lyrics that said, All of you is more than enough for all of me. And all I have in you is more than enough. We have everything in our Heavenly Father is enough. Instead of setting and dwelling on the good or the bad of our childhood or even the things that have happened in our life, remember when we found God? Suddenly we found more than enough. There's more than God than even the best earthly dad. God is our true father. The psalmist said, sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song for him who rides through the deserts, whose name is the Lord and exalt him. God, a father to the fatherless and the judge for the widows. The sufficiency of God is saying, you know, despite what has happened, you can praise him. You can sing to him. You can rejoice before him because, because God's the father to the fatherless. God recognizes those that don't have a great home life or those that don't have a great relationship with their dad. And he says, you know what? I'm going to be your father. I'm going to have a relationship with you. God sees the widow that are in need and he says, I will defend them. I'm afraid many folks will sing, God is enough. He's all I need. They say, I'm not lacking anything. The Lord is my shepherd. And that's enough. I'm not lacking because I got more than enough stuff. But do you really believe that God is sufficient? That he's a father to the fatherless? Does your life show that? Does your life show that you're in love with God of the universe and that's actually enough? Knowing the creator loves you and wants you to have an abundant life, is that actually enough for you? So I'm asking you this morning, do you believe that God has been, that God is, and that God always will be sufficient? He's the father we celebrate. He's the father to all of us. And he really is enough if we reach out to him and embrace him. And I know today's a hard day for some of you. 
who've had some of those dads that we described, those dads that really messed up. Others here are having a hard day because they were that dad. That dad who lives with a lot of remorse. And he feels like he really ruined his kid's or wife's life. This is a hard holiday for you because there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee in Scripture that your kids will ever forgive you. There's no guarantee that your spouse will ever forgive you. But Scripture does have a guarantee. There's a guarantee that God will forgive you. If you cry out, if you admit that you've done and you own up to it and you seek real change, there's forgiveness. You have to believe in the sufficiency of God that God can be the father to your kids despite what you've done. You pray that they will also reach out to him and you pray that your kids will reach out to him and they find everything they need in him because God is sufficient. He can make up for all the mistakes that we made in parenting. And for us parents, dads and moms, whether our child or children or preschoolers or adults, our sins have affected them. Our mistakes already have affected them. So we have to depend upon God. We have to believe that God is sufficient for them. We need to seek strength to be the best mom, the best dad that we can be. But we also have to believe that God is truly our children's father, that the creator, and he loves them even more than we do. We need him to be the father in areas that we can't or where we fall short. I think the important thing is for you to own up to your sin and then ask God to help you to change who you are. And don't just sit there and say, well, I can't change. I've been this way forever. I've been this way for so long. It's, it's just impossible. I can't. My pop also had a famous saying, can't, can't do anything. Jesus said, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. The Bible says that the spirit of him now lives in you. The one who actually did the impossible now lives in you. And so for you to go, I'm stuck this way, well, that's just wrong. Theodore Roosevelt said, we need the iron qualities that go with true manhood. We need the positive virtues of resolution, of courage, of indomitable will, of power to do without shrinking the work, the rough work that must always be done. Paul said, be on alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. So guys, it's time. It's time to be on alert, to stand firm in your faith, act like men, and be strong. Let's bow for prayer.